What's up guys? Welcome to another episode of Mind Fucked with Patrick James. I've got a very special episode here where I brought on one of my buddies named Jin Kelly. I'm Jin Kelly and I've been independently researching shadow people for approximately 20 years. Now Jin is a guy who I met a few months ago when I did some tactical training in LA. He was kind of the lead instructor of this private security company that was doing the tactical training for us. And over the course of the week that we spent there, I got to realize that he's actually a paranormal investigator and has actually been featured in a few shows like Proof on Amazon Prime where they brought him in as a consultant for his knowledge on shadow people. So I thought it'd be a very interesting collaboration if we had a conversation about shadow people and all things paranormal. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Jen, go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and then we can get going here. I'm Jen. I'm a former government contractor, um, executive protection and surveillance, counter surveillance instructor. But I, I also happen to be a paranormal researcher and investigator. When you guys came out, we had a lot of fun and shot a lot of guns and did a lot of things. And um, when we, I found out that you were on this channel and it had a paranormal thread, I was kind of interested and wanted to share experiences or theories or you know, anything that we could come up with to kind of further that conversation. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and what's interesting is like my channel, I feel like, to me, it's relatively new because I've been doing online content for like close to eight years now. Um, but a lot of people think of me as like the UFO video guy. Uh, but there really is, like you said, a paranormal thread. I'll be honest. I had a couple paranormal experiences uh, growing up that got me really interested in the topic. So I'd say I've probably been into paranormal longer than I've been into UFOs. But yeah, man, it's really uh, cool. And so I'm kind of one of the things I've noticed in my research of shadow people, and we can get into maybe experiences I've had in the past or some of your experiences. <laughs> um, but I guess what, one of the things that I'd heard once I interviewed another guy about uh, paranormal stuff. He was a skinwalker ranch researcher and he was talking about shadow people and he had a really interesting experience. One that's probably the craziest experience that I've personally ever heard, which to me makes it, I don't know if it's believable or not, but he told me off camera that he thinks shadow people are jinn, like D-J-I-N-N, which comes from, I guess, Islamic religions, potentially. I might be getting that wrong, but I thought that was interesting that you're a shadow person, people, uh, paranormal researcher, but also your name is jinn. Do you think that was fate or coincidence? Oh, man. Hard to say. I guess it depends on you know, your level of subscription to cultural influences, paranormal influences, you know, you could be, um, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but I have, I have gotten um, interesting reactions from people of the uh, Muslim faith when I was uh, introducing myself, um, especially if it was kind of in that, uh, in that setting. You know, um, it's just interesting. I so that the his theory, um, it's one that I, I I agree with and I postulated as well because you know you're dealing with a realm that kind of transcends culture. You know, I mean, let's just say we're dealing with something paranormal or interdimensional, right? 
different cultures would just interpret those things. They they wouldn't be able to actually give a you know a solid universal definition. So they're they're enhancing what this phenomenon is at the same time detracting from it, you know. Um so I think it's pretty interesting that you can go through various cultures and in, in, in various centuries and find some reference that all seem to kind of link up and, and match. But the, the origin or definition of the things are, you know, different. But the, the physical description or the, the perceived physical description is never really too far off from the mark, you know? Um, it's just kind of, it's just kind of, it was one of those things that was always interesting to me. It's kind of like dragons uh, in, in a way, because you look at developed civilized cultures throughout the course of human history, scattered all over on different continents, who had no means of really communicating with each other um, all across the globe, yet they all have references, and in most cases, um, you know, solidified pictorial representations of what appears to be a dragon. So suspending belief for a moment, you know, it's really just a mathematical equation. Did all of these people that had access to preserving this type of creature and record, did they all just guess the same and it happened to look like a dragon at all the content or, or were they all seeing something? You know, it's it's just interesting to speculate that way. You know, same thing with shadow people. It's um, or any any cryptid really. Uh, you know, you have all these sightings of things. It's like, are they all wrong, or are they all seeing something similar? And maybe they're recalling it just a little bit different, or you know, with their own flair or imagination. Um, because fear has a way of changing your perception you could have 10 people in the room show them something really really scary if you ask them all what it was if when you start getting down to little details they, they might vary but they all saw the same thing so i don't think you can discount it you know? so are you basically getting at you know the the fact that a lot of different religions and texts from different backgrounds all talk about similar phenomenon where you could almost argue that they're they're just different people describing the same phenomenon yeah uh different lens but i think they're describing the same phenomenon um and there, and there's also you know there's other other factors that kind of link them up too if you want to get a little bit grander in that uh in that conversation um uh all, all major religions um including ones that aren't necessarily really out there in the public eye like you don't know how they break down um they all have a, a very specific way to deal with those entities, right? Um, Catholicism, you got the rites of exorcism. Um, they're said by name in uh, um, the Quran. Um, even the, you know, uh, you know, varying religions with the Native Americans, uh, First Nation, they're, you know, they have to deal with it, but they, they have to um, invoke you know, higher spirits than themselves, greater spirits. And what I've noticed is that all of these religions, in order to combat these entities, 
it seems the one necessary component that kind of transcends all of them is that you have to call down the highest good in whatever their religion is specifically the highest good they have to have the intention of calling down the highest good and uh, you know we can use that to deduce that it's a necessary component whether real or whether just based in belief and faith in order to combat these things now you can also you know branch off of that does that mean it's our intentions right because let's just say you're calling down you know catholicism you're calling down god right well christianity's definition and version of god is not going to match other religions definition and versions of god name at least in name you know uh so what I think is that it's not necessarily the name. I think it's more the intention. I think a name helps focus the intention of the of the people, but I don't think that it's, you know, a deal breaker more or less. Uh, yeah. Using you know uh, rights of exorcism again, one of the most important factors that you need to get in order to combat a, a demonic entity is to get its name right. And why is that so important? I, I think it's so that you can direct your energy direct your intention you know it's a laser beam as opposed to like a blunderbuss or a cannonball it's it's more focused and refined it's easier to kind of increase the intensity of the intention of what you're trying to accomplish and um from an offensive angle i think it's more potent that way as opposed to you know just throwing whatever against the wall and seeing if it sticks yeah um <clears throat> i want to backtrack a second uh because i really do want to go deeper on your interest in shadow figures um, in general. But I guess before you got into, like before we got on on the on Zoom today, right? Um, when you first got interested in the paranormal, was it because of an experience you had? Like what got you into researching the paranormal and specifically shadow people? Uh, ooh. So... I've, I've always, I was always kind of drawn to that space, not necessarily shadow people, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, okay, okay. So when I was younger, I remember like being really into like monsters, right. And just the possibility of monsters. And I remember very specifically finding this book in my elementary school library. And it just seems so out of place because there, you know, there's literature, works of art, there's, you know, obviously study material complementary to whatever your, your, your school, you know, course syllabus is. And how old were you when you found this book? Oh man. Uh, I, I don't know, like third grade, maybe. Do you remember the, the title of the book or what was talked about? It was, I remember the cover, but it was something like, I think it was like myths and monsters or monsters and myths or something, something like that. But it just kind of opened up, you know, and I opened it up and I'm looking at it. And the first thing it showed was like this, you know, a, a, a big, you know, I think it was a Bigfoot and um, it had a map in a region. And I remember thinking the first thing when I saw it, I was like, holy crap, this thing lives over there. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't really, you know, kitty, you don't really have a, an absorption filter, you know, so um 
I just, uh, you know, I just remember looking at it and being really fascinated for it. And then, um, you know, uh, I just kind of expanded from there and always kind of like enjoying the, the mythos of various creatures, myths and lore. Um, I, I can honestly say I don't think I don't think shadow people ever really came into um, came into my my field of view until I started uh, I don't know maybe when I was about eighteen or nineteen. Where, you know, I, I think it was just kind of the natural progression of things. You start to fall into, you know, it's like, oh, ghost. I was like, yeah, oh, it could be a demon. Well, what's a demon? Oh, it could be this. Oh, well, what's this? And it just kind of leads and leads and leads. And then I kind of started coming across materials about shadow people. And I found them pretty interesting, um, specifically that uh, at the time, specifically, because I was doing a lot of uh, research into sleep and dream um, uh, uh, interpretations. And, um, you know, they kind of came... They're, they're a little bit more prevalent there. And then you find out what the word nightmare actually means. And then you kind of find the mythos around, you know, that. But um, at this point, it was all just study. It was all just kind of fun, you know. Um, I had an experience which I had issues explaining what it was that I was dealing with because it never, you know, you know, it never happens, I guess, the way you think it's going to happen. You know, it's there's no rhyme or reason. It just kind of happens, you know. And, um, I would say uh, a few years back, uh, early on, I was, you know, I, I was just, I got done working at this, um, uh, this nightclub that I was running the security at. And uh, it was late, probably about 3, 3.30, I'd say. And you know, I parked my car and I had to walk um, about a block to my apartment. And as I was walking, um, you know, I had a backpack on. I'm just late and kind of tired. And uh, I walked past this alleyway that goes, when you look down the alleyway, you can see the back of all these apartments and triplexes. And, you know, it's got these overhead lights. And uh, I just kind of stopped in the middle of that alleyway as I'm kind of walking straight in the alleyways on my left and I got my bag on and I kind of stop and my shoes, you know, untied and stop tying my shoe. I go to pick up my bag and um, I just get this really weird feeling, you know, um, it's like someone's watching you, but times 20, you know, it's extra area. It's very calm. It's very quiet. It's a, it's a clear night. And uh, I look, I look over to my, left down this alleyway and about three I don't know how to measure this three overhead lights down about three and a half overhead lights down which is I don't know maybe like 400 feet or so precisely so yeah um I see this black figure and you know i'm looking at it and it's the shape of a man which is kind of what drew all my attention to it because the outline of the human figure is the most recognizable thing another person can see you'll recognize that shape anywhere um 
And so I kind of was drawn to it. And then uh, the computer wheel on my screen in my brain was just stuck on spinning. You know, it was just in the middle of the screen, just doing that thing as I'm looking at it, because my brain is cycling through the Rolodex trying to figure out what this thing is. What is it? What am I looking at? You know, we do that with everything, but we usually know what everything is pretty, pretty fast. And I'm looking at it and I can't figure out what it is. And it was, it was solid, you know, it was solid. It was black. It kind of had this little, you know, slight reflection on its surface, but, you know, um, it could have been just how the light was hitting it. And you know, I couldn't figure out what it was. And it just kept coming closer and closer and closer. Was it what? No, nah, it was floating. It was like, it was, it was floating. Yeah. I didn't really see like steps and like towards the bottom, you know, it got, it got a little more or a little less defined. And was um, any like clothing, like a hat or a coat or anything like that? No, not that I could see. It was just kind of like, um, I don't know, it's just an outline or a shape. Um, and it, just, it just kept like coming closer to me, not like aggressively, but enough to, to definitely get my attention and enough to make me realize that, you know, it's coming towards me. So is this like in, in, the, in the street or is it like in the bushes? It's in, it's in the street. It's it's in the middle of the alleyway, and that's how you notice it from, like you said, four hundred feet away, is because it was in the middle of the street. Yeah, so I, it had a background that kind of skylined it. You know, I, I'm curious because, like, to reiterate for people watching this, you do private security for very high profile people, and so, yeah. um, the fact that this stands out to you as paranormal. In what way would that differ and explaining to someone who doesn't have security experience to just a normal shady character walking up from 400 feet away? What stands out about the differences between those, those two scenarios? Um, so, so, uh, the, the, the type of security that I, that I do, um, close protection, executive protection. Uh, some of it's confidential. Um, you know, w one of the primary things that you learn to do immediately is to assess the threat. You know, um, you look at whatever you're looking at and you figure out everything from a threat assessment point of view, you know, um, capabilities, uh, what you might have to do uh, in a multitude of situations, you know, do you have to egress? Do you have to uh, attack? Do you have to, you know, try to play it? Yeah, there, there's a million different ways to play it, but ultimately it comes down to very quick, very accurate threat assessment. It's kind of like, you know, when you see somebody you don't know, it's kind of natural to size them up from a point of view of, uh, well, if we were to get into a fight, would I be in trouble or not? You know, that's that's kind of in our nature, you know? And so take that type of natural mentality most people have and, and kind of multiply that by about five or six. And that, that's, that's just kind of what I'm trained to do in situations that, you know, I, I potentially perceive a threat. And 
it's very methodical. Like I don't get excited when it happens. You know, I don't get um, flustered. It's I've been in the game long enough to be thrown into a, various situations and I'll be okay. You know. Um. So the first thing that happened is when I saw this thing, you know, my, my brain kind of went into that mode and then it just stopped <laughs> because, you know, in order to assess the threat, you have to know what it is or at least what it's capable of. And I didn't know either. And, you know, and that's kind of why, I mean, I was stuck. I wasn't really frozen to fear though. I was frozen because I didn't know what it was. And there's a weird thing that happens to our, to our mind and when you see something and you like you don't know what it is you know there's this inherent curiosity that takes over because we're you know we're trying to figure it out like i said that little that little disc was spinning and i'm trying to assess what it is i was looking at and i couldn't figure it out you know even though i had you know uh, an understanding and i was exposed to um um you know the paranormal world at that point, it's just not the first thing you think of when you see it. You know, you you just, you know, again, I was, you know, I was tired. I just got off work and I was just kind of in a different mindset. And when I saw it, it was like, okay, um, I don't know what you are and you're moving. And so it's, it was, it was pretty surreal. Yeah. Um, so when I, I saw that, that kind of changed my, I guess, intensity of which I, I started studying these things because, you know, when you have a personal experience, you, there's a certain level of doubt that is removed, you know? And I think that it, it you know, when you, when you hold certain things as, as more likely um, of a point uh, closer to factual, you tend to you tend to study a little bit differently as opposed to like a general overview, you know. So, do I know what it was? No. Do I know that it was a shadow person? No. You know, but I do know that something I saw was definitely there. I know that I couldn't identify it. I know it wasn't a person, you know. But it has to be. I mean. It was the outline of a person, but when it came, so when it came closer, this is kind of where it, it, you know, kicked into higher gear. When it came closer, my, my, my kind of, my threat index rose and I, I, um, I could feel a legitimate fight or flight thing kicking in, except, you know, it, it's kind of kind of pointless to run from something that's a lot faster than you um because then you just die tired <laughs> so um so you're saying don't run from a bear in the wild yeah it's kind of like if if you know there, there's even at that method at the fight or flight method there's like um there's a, a playbook you can still go by and you know I, I at this point i had training kind of ingrained in me so i that's what i went by and uh, I just, I, I dropped my bag and I just, I squared up, you know, um, I had no idea what was going to happen or what I was going to do or how, how stupid I looked. I just didn't know if I could outrun it or not. But the other thing is, is part of me doing that is I live right around the corner, 
you know, um, whatever this thing is, I don't want to show it where I live. You know, it, it was just kind of a, a a quick thought that occurred in my mind, you know, so not, question, not saying question. Um, yeah. So this thing started 400 feet away from you, approximately three blocks, because you said three stoplights away. And it started. No, 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 uh, not stoplights, um, overhead alley lights. It was oh, okay. in total. Probably about. I'd say three quarters to about half a block away. OK, that it started my understanding of what you're saying. So that's that's relatively close. That's probably within 150, 200 feet. Yeah, I can. um I can easily like next time you're out in LA, I can I can take you to that spot and show you exactly where it was and yeah, and we'll go at night so it's the lighting conditions are the same. Yeah, yeah. So from I don't that, know if that sounds like a bonus or not, but <laughs> from that far away, you could definitely tell that. Yeah, this you have no idea that one detail changes my how I'm imagining this in my head, because I was imagining something that I'm looking at from hundreds of feet away, whereas this is it like you could tell even with the lighting, like you would be able to see if it was a person or just a black figure walking towards you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of horrible at gauging distances. So, you know, I have to use like, oh, I've seen you shoot. (laughs) (laughs) I'd agree with that statement. I'm joking. Yeah, we'll go again too when you come out here. We'll do some more stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, man. And and when it got close, um, when I and that's see that's that's actually kind of what woke me up to that it was coming towards me was um the lights because how far away it was and then like it kept just getting closer and closer and it would disappear because it's a little bit dark and then when it come under another light I would see it again and. What what really kind of messed me up was that when I when I put my bag down and I, I was just you know yeah I and to be honest I didn't know what to do you know it, it was it was it was going from oh that's weird what is that into terrifying very quickly and once I kind of had that rush you know all, all the training in the world isn't gonna help you go into something like that you can only kind of fall back on what you know. And what I knew was, you know, okay, I've got to confront this thing or make contact or fight or, or something. And that's what happened. And again, I'm not saying it was smart. Um, I'm not saying I would do it again that way because. So you, you know, squared but, up and did it disappear? Like what happened next? So uh, when I squared up and I kind of, and, and again, this kind of goes back to the energy thing and the intention thing that I was talking about my intention wasn't necessarily, it, you know, it changed from fear into fight. And, you know, that's a powerful force. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your training is. As soon as you make that decision, you know, everything shifts, your energy changes, you know, uh, there's just a certain, certain uh, impact you have in the area around you just from an observation point of view. And so as soon as I made that decision, again, I have no disillusions that that probably would have ended very badly for me. Um, but as soon as I made that decision and kind of planned myself, it stopped advancing. It kind of floated against the left side of the next wall, which is a series of uh, uh, the back end of apartments, and then just started like 
hugging the wall and like floating mm. backwards and then it disappeared around uh, a corner somewhere so it legitimately just became a shadow along the wall and then it just kind of fled away no it still had its form but it was it was just kind of like moving i don't know much much different and um kind of went away how so, quick was it when it fled away like that um it was it wasn't like fast to the point where I would say that it was something supernatural just as far as speed um but the way that it moved was kind of like hugging the structures to the left and that was a little unnerving you know yeah um because if it's a person doing it like you know we have to move our whole body out of the way of something you know it's kind of like trying to run through specific shapes in a wall. You've got to like move your entire body to do it. But this thing just kind of very quickly morphed to the shape of whatever it was running against and kind of hugged the wall the way down. It was a really weird experience, you know? Yeah. So that experience, um, that's kind of what, like you said, changed the intensity of how much you were researching it and how deep you were going. Yeah, you know, it, it seems like I kind of had a way to, to aim my research a little bit better, and um, you know, I had uh, I had more of a defined context that I could look things, look into things. And like I said, you know, what was it? I don't know. You know, um, I don't think I know enough about the world, and uh, you know, the world we know and the world we don't know to make any definitive statements about what it was. I can only kind of tell you what I experienced, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I think, I think definitions are very important, uh, in that world. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's kind of why, you know, a lot of people, I think get discredited, um, because how they approach it, you know, I mean, you've probably talked to investigators or people that saw something and matter of fact, they're like, Oh yeah, I saw Bigfoot. It was there. You know what I mean? And that that kind of instantly turns a lot of people off. But it, it actually turns me off too, because uh, I think a more honest approach to whatever they're talking about would be, you know, if they did see that, it would be like, I don't know what it was, but it was this big, it was hairy, it was in this region, didn't look like anything I've seen before. You know what I mean? If they kind of list out the the line by line facts of their experience, I think it adds more credibility as opposed to just kind of jumping right to conclusion. You know, oh, it was this, you know, like I, I tend to never do that because you always have to leave room for, um, you know, a, a plausible explanation because sometimes that's, that's, that's all it could be sometimes, you know, you might, you know, oh, I saw this, I saw that. And really it was just somebody in bad lighting, you know, it's just as plausible. Yeah. No, I totally understand what you mean. And I, I would agree with that um, in the sense that, like you're saying, someone immediately jump into conclusions, it was a ghost or whatever it was, yeah. right? That is less valuable to anybody who's even intrigued by it because most people don't have never seen a ghost, don't know what a ghost looks like you know, et cetera. So you're not giving them the frame of reference to even begin to relate to what you experienced. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think in a way people who kind of jump to conclusions that quickly are doing themselves a disservice because at that point you become the person who cries wolf, which is why just because you could never prove that it was or wasn't a ghost at that point. Right. And so that's yeah. why 
you really do have a point where it's you just have to list out the the raw facts of what happened and what your experience is. And you know what? I would also say you don't always have to have a logical explanation. A lot of times these things don't have a logical explanation. But what I I, I guess for anybody listening, I know sometimes I fall down this like mental trap of like, I'll be looking at paranormal experiences. And because I've had a couple, I'll like think, okay, is there's like, is it paranormal? And I'm trying to do the detective work while I'm listening to this story. And sometimes I get the, I get the impulse to like go, Oh, that's not that crazy or that's whatever. But I think that's even a mistake because no matter the experience, if there is no logical explanation, it is worthy of being said, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's, um, I don't know. I think that there's, you know, you, you have a responsibility when you're dealing with these things to kind of accurately recount what happens and kind of leave, you know, leave the hype, um, leave the hype at the door. And, uh, and the same token, you know, the people that are listening to it or even like skeptics that are listening to it, I think they, they have an intellectual responsibility to take into account that if it's a factual presentation, you know, they have to look at it from the point of view of, of, of understanding and explanation. There's a lot of things that I see. A lot of times I see, um, you know, I see, I mean, honestly, it's in a way it's kind of like a weaker people. And I don't mean that, you know, um, in, in necessarily a, a, a negative way. You know, um, I say weaker people, I mean, people whose minds will not allow them to be a little bit elastic and kind of, you know, go with the flow to see what conclusions they would come to once they've kind of digested all the information. Instead, weaker people are like, oh, you're just crazy. You know, it's a very, it's a very quick dismissive term, you know, are there crazy people out there? Sure. But, you know, everyone that has these experiences, you know, they're not crazy. I know first responders. I know military special operators. You know, I know uh, uh, law enforcement professionals uh, that have had paranormal experiences. And these are all people that are highly trained to recount factually very small details with incredible accuracy under very diverse and challenging situations. So who am I to look at them? Uh, ah, nah, you're crazy. Yeah, you didn't see that. Or I don't believe in that. That's my favorite one. Well, I don't believe in that. It's like, well, your belief doesn't mean shit. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's not your experience. You know, this is what the person experienced. You know, I, I think when you look at things from a place of reason and logic, you're going to have a much better time trying to define and understand what actually happened, you know? So, yeah. and, and we know paranormal or I know paranormal investigators, they walk into a place, they're like, oh, yeah, this place is haunted. And I kind of look at them I'm like, really, dude, <laughs> like, it's just we haven't even done anything yet. You're just what, I don't know what you're going on. I don't know if you're just trying to get clicks and likes or you're trying to, like, represent yourself a certain way. Yeah, um, but that's it's just not a good it's not it's not an intellectually responsible place to start, you know? Yeah, well, I guess that would depend on who's saying it too. Like, I think you could agree that there are places that definitely give off the vibe that it's likely to be haunted. But even that might just be like the, what you were saying before is like 
throwing a label on it just because a label is a is a box that we are able to comprehend in our head, right? And so someone saying, oh yeah, this place is haunted. Maybe they believe it, maybe they don't, but there is something to be said about that sixth sense of like feeling a certain vibe. And I think that also goes back to what you were saying, which is um, you you felt like something was watching you, but times 20. I think everybody can agree that they know they know the feeling of feeling like they're being watched. Now, what is yeah. that? Nobody's ever explained that, but we can definitely agree that it's there, right? And so I think we have some extra perceptual ability that some people are more sensitive to. And so I wouldn't necessarily immediately discount it if some paranormal investigator was like, oh yeah, this definitely seems haunted, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's just, I mean, what they're feeling and how they're verbalizing it for others to digest you know, I think it just needs to be taken in carefully into consideration. As far as like people being looked at and stared at, you know, I, I know people like, I, I remember a conversation I had with one of my friends and uh, this years ago and uh, uh, they, one of their complaints, um, they hated sitting in the front of the classroom, right? They just hated it. And I was, I was kind of curious and I was like, well, why, you know, you're in front, you you can see the teacher, you can see the material, you can pay attention better, you would do better. And they were they were somebody that was, you know, a little bit more, you know, intelligent than some of the other kids. And I, I thought it was interesting that they hated sitting in the front, you know. And um she said, she's like, No, I hate it when people stare at the back of my head. And I was like, That is such a weird statement. How the fuck would you know if people are staring at the back of your head? You know, like so it, it obviously created some type of strong reaction to them to the point where they could feel it. Now, whether it's the thought of people staring at the back of the head or people are actually staring at the back of the head, I don't know. But, like, how would you know? Yeah. You know, what does that invoke? Because really, when we look at things, it's, it's I mean, we're focusing, right? We're focusing our intention. And if you're somebody that might be able to perceive and pick up on that, that's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the water experiment where they had um, a container of water and uh, they brought people in uh, around this uh, base and um, they all were kind of in different emotional states. They brought in people that were happy, people that were mad, people that were sad, you know, kind of two different emotions on the spectrum. And, you know, they measured the um, molecules in the water and they found that they all, the water reacted differently depending who was in the room, you know. And what that shows is that we can affect the immediate reality around us just by our, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you want to call emotional and I mean, maybe it's just energy. So we can affect the immediate state. It's kind of like walking into a room and somebody's really mad. Some people walk in and they pick up on that, you know, they, and they say it, but they don't realize that they say it. They're like, Oh, I just walked in and I, I knew that he was, something was wrong. You know, they kind of, they have all these, sensors all over their body that's able to process a large amount of information and the word that comes out is like oh i just knew something was wrong you know but what are they really saying you know and it, we kind of have this way of um burying very important conclusions in very common vernacular like uh you know what's the most important thing in a relationship right well if you're, you got to have good chemistry right just about everybody I think would agree with that and probably say something like that. If you ask them to list like a couple of things, it's vital. Right. Well, what is that? 
define chemistry for me between people. Now you're going to get, you know, a thousand different answers. But everyone knows that it's vital. But they can't define it, you know. So I think we have the ability to influence those things. I'm getting back to, to what you said about, you know, um, you know, the perception of a place, that there are some places that are creepy. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Now, let me ask you this. I think, I mean, my experience, you grow up anywhere as a kid, there's kind of always this one house or building that somehow a, a legend creeps in that it's haunted. You know what I mean? And, uh, you usually don't make this conclusion. Usually somebody tells you. It's like, oh yeah, oh, that place is haunted. And then all of a sudden you start looking at it a little bit differently, you know. And then let's say you grow up in a town and um, you stay there for a while. So over the period of like a decade when you're a kid, you're looking at this place, you just know it's haunted. And then, you know, as kids do, you tell other people, oh, well, that place is haunted, you know. And now all of a sudden you've got hundreds of people in this town that is directing that type of intention and thought at that building over a course of how many years? Do you think that's possible knowing that we can kind of manipulate reality in that sense? Do you think it's possible that they all of a sudden might make it more haunted or make it haunted mm. when you have all those people focusing that thought and intention? Mm. You know what I mean? Because even if you go into the paranormal spectrum, from what I understand, that's the definition of a poltergeist. Mm. You know, a poltergeist isn't an entity that's hanging on a person or a, it's something that's created generally out of uh, emotional duress, typically by, by, uh, mm. uh, you know, younger, younger kids. It says they, 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 I mean, this is, this is the definition as I understand it. You know, um, it's something that's created by a, a living person it's nothing otherworldly it's nothing it's literally just emotional energy that doesn't have a place to go and it kind of manifests into this entity so it's recognized in some form now what if it's a thousand people all focusing something like that you want to get really scary what about a million what about 500 million dedicated to a religion where they have that thought. You know what I mean? Like, brings up some very interesting questions. Real quick, if you're enjoying this episode of Mind Fucked, I post these interviews up to a month in advance on my new Patreon. So if you wanna see episodes that maybe are too risky to post on YouTube or even watching these episodes up to a month in advance, check out the Patreon, the link is down in the description. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that come off of what you just said. One is like the, the ability to manifest thoughts into things. And I think this is something that I've, more recently gotten more open-minded to which is you know how much your thoughts and intentions can affect physical reality you know obviously back in the day when i was in college so i graduated in 2012 so maybe like 2010 2011 i'd seen the movie the secret right and it's all about the 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 manifesting reality manifesting your dreams the the secret right, right? and so I honestly, I kind of went through, you know, believing that, but I was a naive little kid. And then I kind of went through a phase where I thought law of attraction is bullshit and it's all just like whatever. 
Um, but then I kind of had a couple experiences on psychedelics to where I guess I became more open-minded to the possibility of a spiritual realm. And right. I've even gone through the ups and downs with like what I think of religion. Right. And, and this brings me back to something I also wanted to bring up, which is what you said, which is like, how much of it is actually something that is physically happening that you are witnessing and how much of it is what you think you're witnessing because you're thinking about it. And yeah. uh, like, I can relate to that because I used to pray every night. Like I went to a Christian school in elementary school and I prayed every night before I went to bed. And I did that for many years. I don't currently do that. Right. But um, I remember at the time I would feel like I, I was, as I was praying, I would feel like I had like a, a presence watching down on me that was protecting me. Right. And I think a lot of people, I think they've actually studied this. A lot of people relate feeling the same types of warming guidance, uh, just soothing energy of like, God's got my back or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But then they've also kind of, you know, so I, I think the study that I saw years ago, I don't even remember where it was, but um, they were talking about how that feeling is just a feeling that's created in your brain. And maybe that's just brain chemistry giving you that feeling. Right. And that makes sense to me. And I think it, that could also yeah, be it, could, it could be, but at the same time, you can't actually say definitively if it's one person's interpretation of that thought and that's what they feel, or if they're feeling the effects of multiple people's interpretation of that thought and they're feeling that effect and it's supporting their view. You know what I mean? Like, how do you know all those people in that one place uh, didn't splash the walls with their energy and it stuck around and it's positive, you know? I mean, the exact same as in the, it's true with the opposite. We go to places and it has a creepy feeling. We'll come to find out it's got this horrid history. There was murder. There was a lot of emotional distress and you can just feel it on the walls, right? I mean, if that mentality is true, wouldn't that be true in the opposite, right? Because that's the emotional energy that was put out in these places. It's a good place. It's a safe place. It's a, a place where there is this divine protection kind of goes back to the haunted house thing if you have multiple people hundreds of people thousands of people believing it it's it's going to be true you know it's, it's just how it is right in some cases it doesn't matter if it's actually true or not if this is the belief that's completely surrounding it then that's just how it's going to unravel yeah well i guess there's a couple of leaps of of faith to even relate to what you were just saying, right? For someone to even comprehend what you're talking about right now, as far as energy affecting the vibe of a, of a place based on what people think of it, they have to first believe that maybe there is a uh, element of how your consciousness affects the, re the physical things around you. I think a lot of people who probably aren't into the paranormal, so honestly, probably none of the audience here, but maybe people who, who don't actively seek out paranormal content, right? They would, I would say that's the vast majority of the population. And most of those people probably would not think that your thoughts can affect things. Right. Right. Well, at the same time, like it's all about the approach, right? Because you could take those same people. Uh, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And, but then you, you can ask them something very baseline, very basic level, which would be, okay, you don't believe in that stuff. Well, 
what what about having a good attitude in life? Let's say you have your kid and you're, you're trying to give them advice. Would you tell them to have it? You can have a good attitude. Um, or, or would you tell them that, you know, have a bad attitude? Because it doesn't matter. You know, you can have an attitude chip, you know, chip on your shoulder or whatever. And there's no difference in that or a good attitude. And if I think most of those people would say, well, I mean, of course you want to have a good attitude. Okay, well, that's interesting. Why, why, why would you want to have a good attitude? Yeah, well, it, people respond better to it. You know, you can uh, you can get things done easier. You can work better in teams. There's there's a laundry list of reasons why having a good attitude is better. Well, okay, so having a good attitude makes things better. You think it makes you feel better? You think it makes other people feel better? So why is it important to feel certain ways? You know. Why is it vital to life? You know, um, and it's kind of, you know, it's in the same theater. They just, you have to present it to them a different way. Like, I, I give you the best example that, uh, you know, that I was speaking to. I was actually meeting, I, I was in a meeting with a bunch of people to, and, and the topic, uh, it, it, it was a, how do I say this without saying too much? So just, just so you're tracking, there's, Sometimes we're going to talk about things and there's going to be things that I can't talk about. And I'll let you know, you know, I'll just say, listen, I can't really talk about that, you know? And, but so I was in a meeting with a lot of people and the topic of, um, let's just say religion came up and this is not a place where the topic of religion would come up. And uh, they all seem to be pretty much, you know, atheists, more or less, for, for, for lack of a better, lack of a deeper description. And I was kind of like, okay. And, I, and uh, so I changed gears and I said, okay, um, Now, this wasn't necessarily advocating my stance, but it was kind of advocating the stance that maybe they don't know how, how like, blocked they look to me at that moment. And so um, I told them, I said, okay, well, are there, are there other dimensions? Like, in our plane of existence, are there, are, are there multiple dimensions, right? Well, get into quantum physics and uh, mathematics, they've proven the existence of multiple dimensions right coinciding with ours they just don't know what's in them right so they know they exist they don't know what's in them because they can't see into them which is fine right and i said okay so there's multiple dimensions do you think it's possible that in those dimensions there are entities or beings just like we exist here in that dimension could there be beings well yeah you don't know what's in that dimension so it's possible that there could be beings in there right do you think it's possible that those beings could decide or could be in service to good or evil? Do you think they would have that choice? If they're intelligent beings, you know, that they have that choice. Well, again, yeah. I mean, it's rooted in we don't know what's in that dimension. So, of course, that's a possibility. Right. Do you think that it's possible that they would be so powerful in their own regard, let's say from a... Uh, uh, an energy point of view that they might be able to transcend their dimension 
or travel to other dimensions? Do you think that's possible? And I said, yeah. I was like, okay, so it's possible to have beings that serve a higher good or higher evil that could be immensely powerful that exist in another dimension and could travel back and forth between the two. But you think angels sound ridiculous. And they kind of just stopped. Or you think demons are ridiculous. And my point is, is that they get hung up on the title of things. You know, because if I say angel or demon, or if I say, you know, anything really, um, it comes with a whole host of, of baggage that's attached to it. It's like you got to take the entire pie. You can't just take the piece you want. And that turns a lot of people off. And, and rightly so. You know, I get it. It's, it's hard to know what is legitimate and what's not. But as soon as you break it down on the level that I broke it down on, which was, I mean, basically a scientific approach, uh, an impartial approach, and just kind of leaving it open to the realm of plausible possibilities, now we're back to, well, I just described technically what would be an angel or a demon, but I didn't call it that. And now all of a sudden they were a hundred times more receptive to it. So it's the delivery. You know yeah. what I mean? So just to help me understand, this was a meeting on a contract job you were doing with people who obviously... How dare you insinuate that... No, go ahead. Sorry. So I guess without confirming or denying identities, I'm assuming this was like a room full of military people. Is this on the right track? Um, w w that, that type of experience. Yeah. Okay. People that were, that had a, a just, a the job called for a different mindset and I was in, you know, I was in a meeting with, with those types of people. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of brings me to what I wanted to ask you in the first place when we got into this discussion anyways, which is what do you think shadow people are? Cause I've had a shadow people experience myself. And I guess before you answer, do you think it is something that is created because people fear a certain place and they manifest this shadow being, or do you think it is an actual interdimensional being with bad intentions? Uh, a really rough question, man. I know it should be very simple because you're asking my opinion. Right. But how I think when it comes to these types of things, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I, I guess I would, I, I kind of take pride in the fact that I'm willing to say, I don't know what it is. I'm not willing to dismiss it, but at the same time, I'm not reckless enough to assign a definition that predates me to these things. But I can tell you, I think that at least some of these people that have had experiences had real experiences. And I think that what they saw was something that they couldn't explain specifically. And I think that if we get hit with feelings of dread or fear, you know, 
I think that that's something that's innately programmed into us. It's a response. It's a survival response. You know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a system we don't really have a lot of knee jerk control over. All we can really do is kind of manage it. Right. But I think if they get hit with that, I think that feeling hits when we feel like a predator is near, you know? So I try to keep it very base level, you know, but at the same time, you know, it is a little reckless to discard all of the history that is laden throughout time, recorded history of accounts of these things, because there might be semblances or there might be, you know, truthful statements. There might be um, false statements. But it's all just knowledge that we can siphon through and try to figure out what actually applies. You know, it, it gives us a blueprint of things to try to, you know, initiate some type of trial and error and narrow down all of that, you know, pre-information, pre-history information um, based on the experiences that we have. So I don't want to discard it, you know. Um, a lot of it might just be, like I said, terminology. Like, you know, if you go back, depending on how far back you go, you know, if ancient people, um, pre, let's say pre-technology, um, if they saw a UFO, what, what would, I mean, just as an example, if they saw a UFO, how would they describe it? You know, they, they have no correlating point of reference you know it would be a chariot on fire in the sky you know like the, these are the words that they would use it, you know it would be um you know a small sun you know it would be you know what if they saw aliens how would they describe that or what if they saw creatures that, that, that were supernatural how would they describe that you know um so there's there's a dilution that there is dilution a word yeah, i'll go with it there's a delusion that, that that happens. It's a word if enough that people agree upon it being a word, like you said. That's true. It's true. Um, it's like meh from The Simpsons. You know, meh became a word because a lot of people just started using it. Um, but it doesn't change their experience and what they saw. And I think that there is a wealth of knowledge in that if it's recorded. You know, right. But you know, it depends what lens you look at it through. You know, if you're looking at the religious lens, okay. But I mean, if you're talking about, you know, tribes, you know, thousands of years ago, and they they're recording something, the language is going to be a little bit different. Yeah, uh, their interpretation is going to be a little bit different. But I think the core of it, the, the essence of what it is, is generally there, and I think it's a good thing to to be able to create some type of um, lexicon that incorporates their, their knowledge or their experiences, you know, as science progresses, you know, we're getting more and more capable of mapping out things that were just myth and lore, you know, and this isn't just in the paranormal world. I mean, how long ago was the earth, the center of the universe? This was scientific law. If you went against that, you were, you were, you know, a heretic and you were burned and, you know, you were all kinds of ridiculous things, you know, that was, but it was law, you know, um, the earth revolved around uh, 
the sun. You know, the earth was flat at one point. That was science. And if you disagreed with that, you were an idiot. You know, doctors never washed their hands. Sterilization was never in it. Uh, a concern as to why the death rate during surgery in the early days were was uh, was so high, and all of a sudden just washing your hands. You know the guy that um, suggested maybe if we wash our hands and change our clothes. You know they put him in jail for being medically irresponsible. You know, so we have we have this arrogance as as humans uh, as as mankind, um, right? Where it's like the general consensus does not dictate. You know actual knowledge it doesn't dictate truth yeah you know the truth is the truth it doesn't matter if one people one person believes it or or everyone believes it it's just a matter of you know finding the pathway to get there and it's always sensitive when you do it because you you're not you know half the time you're not even running into you know you're not running into the scenario of like, oh, I just need to see proof. And then you show the person proof. And it's like, okay, well, here's proof of this thing. And you show it to them. You're not running into that most of the time when it comes to paranormal. You're you're running into cognitive dissonance, which is coming from something else entirely. It could yeah. be an experience when they're young. It could be religion. You know, it could be uh, 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 how your parents brought you up. You know, it's like, oh, I can't do that because it's something that's ingrained in the subconscious and it's dictating their reaction to things without them actually giving an honest reaction to things. So how you bring it up is pretty interesting. I, I know a guy um, in Hollywood. In a, he had an apartment in Burbank. And he described to me, now he's a big guy. He does not scare easy. And uh, he's a scrapper. And uh, he described to me some of the most, definitive proof to be an eyewitness to um some of those definitive proof that there was some paranormal activity at this place like voices doors slamming in front of him like repeatedly things flying off shelves you know um seeing figures walking around and at the end of all that and i was like oh so what do you think it was do you think it was paranormal and he goes oh i wouldn't say that i don't know you know and i'm like what <laughs> like I you know, there's some people out there uh, when it comes to this type of stuff, they're the type of people that have to be punched in the face before they know they're in a fight. And that's the type of mentality that you're dealing with, you know. So there's an important distinction to make here because, you know, I guess going back to the original question, like, what do you think it is? Right. And I think we can talk all day with any field of anything, you know, the mental flaw in giving things a label. Right. However, yeah. I think from it really depends on this the mental framework at which you're trying to analyze something right and so for example you know everything you're saying there's nothing necessarily right or wrong with any of it right and i i exactly see your point so i would classify that as like the philosophical standpoint philosophy goes into you know kind of describing like the mental errors that go into the ways of thinking and looking at a situation objectively right whereas yeah. here i guess what i'm trying to go for is like i guess where my lens that i typically use is like the journalistic standpoint and from that with that means all that means is like i'm trying to find the most definitive answer whether it's the right or wrong answer or not right the most logical one and i think the important distinction here is that in order to do that you have to at, at some point be able to put labels on things, even if they're just ways to kind of categorize things in your head. Right. And right. so I guess that's where I was more curious about is like, 
in your research, I, I guarantee that you've, and even in your experience and the people you've talked to, you've had, you've been able to form some strong opinions on what you do or don't think it is. And I guess I'm more curious if you put on the journalistic lens for a second, where do you tend to lean? Do you think it is more interdimensional or do you think it is more phenomenal, just like enough energy is accumulated in one place from a lot of people, you know? I I think those things are intertwined. Um, if you want my, my current opinion on that specific type of, uh, occurrence, if you want my opinion as it stands right now, and, and, you know, I'm not someone that latches onto these things, you know, like, oh, this is my definition. Ah, I figured it out. I solved it. I'm not that guy, you know, it, it constantly evolves and it constantly changes based on new information. You know, I, I think it has to, my current opinion is I think it's interdimensional. Um, I think that these things are very powerful. I think they have the ability to draw power um, from our emotional states. And I think that they don't have very good intentions when it comes to people at all. Hmm. So I've never heard a, a story about a, that involved a shadow person where somebody was like, yeah, you know, I was trying to frame this drywall and, uh, you know, I couldn't quite get the angle up and the shadow person came and just like leveled it off for me and, you know, cut yeah. my work, you know, cut my work time down. Like it's never a positive story. And, um, considering the amount of stories that I've heard, you've, you know, mathematically, you would you you would hear it if it was if it was that case. But I think there's a maybe um, a plan or some type of uh, setting that they have that it's not good. You know, it's it's just not good when it comes to us, whatever it might be. And there's interesting things sprinkled through history that kind of support this you know, support this uh, battle plan, which is, um, you know, um, like in the, in the Quran, you know, it's their name, those if you want to go with the jinn, um, any, any jinn that communicate with mankind, they're evil, they're bad. Just by the fact that they communicate, they're going against the will of God. So the fact that they're here, that they're interacting, they're communicating, they're automatically bad, right? And looking at it, I mean, it's very brief, you know, uh, footnote but looking at it from the, with that in mind that does line up with a, a lot of the experiences that I've heard you know that these shadow things that, that that okay yeah that makes sense because if they're going against God and you gotta keep on we don't know how they're regulated when it comes to good and evil you know it might be a very clear defined line whereas here it's more you know I'd say for for some it's like faith it's opinion you know we have atheists we have you know, people that are devout, you know, um, but we're all on this planet. So we generally get exposed to the same types of information generally. Um, but we don't know how it's defined in, in, in that next, in that place that they're coming from in that dimension. It could be very defined, you know, yeah. um, it could be, uh, you know, Oh, hey, look, there's, there, you know, there's, there's an angel oh, coming over here causing trouble you know what i mean it could be something like that we, we really don't know but um 
But as far as my opinion, that's that's my general opinion. Um, I also think there's there's rules, um, and uh, I think that certain rules that they have to abide by. Um, you know, uh, it's just uh, it's just interesting. You know, it's just very interesting uh, when you start looking them down. And again, this is just kind of you know what 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 I think. Um, what I think about uh, that phenomenon, you know, I, I, it's it's very. I think it's very reckless and irresponsible to to just look at people that have these experiences and just be like, oh, they're all crazy. It's like really, they're all crazy. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think they're crazy. You know, I believe. I think you you said something earlier that was very interesting. You called you called people who I would describe as not very open minded. You said that. You didn't want to call them weak, but that was like the term that came to head, right? Um, I to me, it's really just about like I don't think they're necessarily weak, but it's more just people are naturally resistant to change, and if something that if they learn a piece of information that completely shatters their worldview as they know the world in their years of experience, then they just t- tend to put up defenses to it, and I think that's where the symptom of that defense is you know, denial, calling you crazy, whatever. Like my dad, for example, um, Vietnam veteran, helicopter pilot, did several tours in Vietnam, flying helicopters, right? Got drafted. Um, So he was the type of person where I had a few paranormal experiences as a kid, which is what got me interested in the paranormal specifically. Um, But he always had like an explanation for everything. And even if I couldn't recounting an event to him, couldn't find a logical explanation. He would tell me it was the refrigerator. It's, it was the refrigerator. And it was just like, how can you, how can you completely discount everything and boil it down to being the fucking refrigerator when it clearly to me was not the refrigerator. And, you know, and so, um, I wouldn't call him weak, but I would call him not very open-minded to things that shatter his worldview. Uh, I remember I had like an example where in high school, there was this like um, this website called peteranswers.com. Have you ever heard of it? No. So the concept is it's a website where you basically it's a web page and it's like it's an online psychic or whatever. And it's like, okay. oh, my God, I can uh, ask it any question and it will tell me the answer. Right. right. And so what you have to do is you have to type in your question and then tell out the answer. And so it was a prank online for a long time, because if you hit, if when typing in the question, if you hit the period on your keyboard, you type in the answer, it'll look like you're typing out a question and then you hit period to end the answer. And then you finish typing out the question in reality. And so the person on the keyboard had like, it was always the person on the keyboard who was typing in if they were the one typing in the question, it would give crazy answers. Right. And okay. so, um, I did it to my dad knowing that he was a huge skeptic and he immediately, I saw his world shattering in front of him. He had no explanation for it. Like what color is the person standing next to me wearing things like that? Like you had to be in the room to know. And right. after about five to 10 minutes of pacing around our fucking basement around our computer, I'm in high school when this is happening. He, goes, we're bugged. There's a bug in the house. I want you to turn off the computer. 
And so he will find a lot. They will make go yeah. through all these mental hoops to just be like, there's a logical explanation because his worldview, his law in his head is there always has to be a logical explanation, right? And I think that is essentially what I would say has to be a label that we all need to agree upon. One label I have to agree upon is what is paranormal? And for me, paranormal goes down to the root of the word para and norm, right? Which literally means outside the norm, outside of what regularly happens. And so if we can all agree upon that, then even if you're a skeptic, you have to look at certain situations and say, this is a paranormal experience because there is no logical explanation, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Those are just my thoughts on that. And I guess it seems like to me that your, you your opinions based on what you've seen tend to go more into the definition of jinn, which from my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, is really just an interdimensional being in, is it the Muslim, Muslim religion where it talks about it? And are they like the, are they basically the Christian equivalent to what we refer to, what Christians refer to as demons? Uh, Sort of. Um, I kind of like, in layman's terms, I can break it down like this from from what I've studied, is that the jinn were basically humans beta. You know, um, if I'm, if I, and this is it's not really my opinion, I'm kind of paraphrasing just w- what I've learned. Um, it was the first test of humans. And um, they're not all that dissimilar from us, you know. Uh, they have relationships, they choose to serve God, some choose not to, they have free will. They're very powerful uh, from an energy standpoint, and they don't, um, you know, they, they live very long, they have very long lives. And so that's kind of what it what it was. And from what I understand, the world of the jinn and um, angels and um, those mixings was was pretty common. You know, it wasn't you know, because they were, again, they were more powerful. They had more uh, tools in their tool belt. And um, it wasn't that, that um, it wasn't that uncommon to, to see them kicking it. Now, in, in the Muslim faith, basically, Lucifer, you know, um, was the uh, most benevolent of the jinn. Lucifer was, uh, I, I, th- I think his name was Shaitan um, for the jinn. And, uh, you know, the jinn roamed the, roamed the earth and um, God unveiled man to um, the angels and the jinn uh, and said, this is my creation. And, you know, they're going to give you given domain over the earth. And, you know, the angels bowed and respected it and prostrate before man and um the jinn, Shaitan, did not like that. And, you know, again, free will. So what they said was, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing, uh, basically, you know, why are we, why are we beneath this, this, this creation? Why are we being, we're stronger than them. We're more powerful. We're, we've been here longer. We've served you longer. You know, it was kind of like this whole uproar. And at which point they were cast out. So this kind of there is correlation between that story and then the story in the Christian faith, which is Lucifer um, was an angel and 
was cast out uh, because of you know mankind because of his pride and one third of all of heaven angels and there's problems with that story though simply because if i'm looking at it realistically does this mean angels have free will because i i thought that they were created to serve you know something's created to serve they, they get free will they you know it's, it, i'm not saying i you know my my doubts in the story are, are valid i'm just saying you know, this is just my thought my thought process. Now you're also bringing up the whole problem that I have with Christianity in the first place. And remember, I grew up a, a, de- a devout Christian, which is yeah. you basically are convinced that you are you basically are persuaded by the Bible that you should sacrifice all your humanly desires and sacrifice your money and give to the good of the church when you just realize that the people who are putting on these churches are salesmen and they're pitching you every Sunday to donate. And yeah. I saw through the whole thing where it's just a massive mind control, not mind control, but it's a, it's a massive scheme essentially, sure. you know, to make money that most people just willingly give into because they're taught and bred from the beginning that chapter one, Genesis, if you ignore my rules, I'll banish you from paradise and you'll go to hell for the rest of eternity. So you better yeah. listen to everything I say. And then the rest of the book is parables to get you to donate your money to the church. And basically, but at the same time, it has good guidelines because it keeps people in line, but it is control, right? It is trying to keep you in a certain line of thinking and and really giving your life to the church, right? Yeah, even, and, and it's, you know, you need a bad guy you need a villain you know what i mean that's being being all good and all that is is fine but it doesn't unify everybody there's a lot of people that just kind of want to stick themselves and not and there's nothing wrong with that but the the great unifier is the enemy you know what i mean because we have to focus on an enemy um this is true in the case of war this is true in the case of pretty much all human history if there's opposing sides you have to vilify the enemy and Christianity, uh, most religions, they vilify um, some form of Satan or Satan or Lucifer or whatever you want to call him. They vilify that. Like, how effective would Christianity be if there was no Satan? You know, and what what is, you know, the whole hellfire and brimstone and all that stuff? That was that was a poetic license used by, you know, writers over the course of history, like Dante's Inferno. There's no mention of hellfire in in the Bible. There's no burning there's no you know what i mean there's it's not like that i mean if i remember correctly from recalling it correctly hell is is basically defined as being removed from the sight of god you know and that that's all it is now technically i guess if we're looking at it from our point of view we wouldn't really know what that is because we wouldn't have comparables but you know what does that what does that mean exactly you know there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting hijacks that have happened over the course of human history you know what i mean like even the vatican you know they have their sealed library the vatican's its own country you know um you can't just walk into the vatican library and say i want to check out you know the dead sea scrolls and see you know pair them to my notes you know you're not allowed to do that it's like well why is information forbidden like that you know if it's if it's in service to let's just say god if it's in service to you know specific types of religion why why would it be restricted you know that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense to me you know should be open source as far as i'm concerned right um so uh, you know it's it's a it's a lot 
it's a, it's a big undertaking. When I say when I say weak, I don't mean weak like because I, I you know I, I prefaced it with uh, you know I, I don't say this as a negative, right? I say weak because it takes a certain amount of undefined strength in order to seek out things that go against what you currently believe. And there's some people that are just not wired that way. They're just not up to that task. They don't have the fortitude in that specific regard to actively seek things that go against their, their current thought processes. So that's what I meant when I said weak. So I, I agree with you. Like I know some very tough individuals that, you know, they you bring up this type of stuff and they're just like, nah, not no, it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? And it's like, how are you, what are you basing this on? You know? Yeah. But it's, I mean, their conviction is so strong that you're like, oh, well, how are you so sure in this? And I'm kind of over here with all these questions, you know? I've always kind of taken the stamp that, um, you know, philosophy is the birth mother to science. And I think that in order to go in the right direction of getting solid, concrete answers, it generally starts with a, a philosophical conversation. And then it branches into science and then you get into scientific definition. And really what it comes down to is we don't have the technology to measure these things yet. That's all it is. You know, we just don't have the technology to measure them. Remember uh, paranormal investigations. Now take away the spirit box, take away the FLIR camera, take away EVP, you know, take away night vision. You know, we're just technically going further back or regressing down the line of technology that's available at a consumer level. Take away cameras. You know, now we're just using our memory recall. I, I think it's um, I think it's a uh, an area that's getting consistently more defined the further we advance uh, on the spectrum of technology that's available to consumers. You know, I think we're getting closer and closer to that. So, yeah. you know, for someone to say, no, it just doesn't exist. It's like, really? Well, I got to ton of other questions i need to ask you because if you got these de de you know definitive answers i'd love to pick your brain you know so yeah it's um i don't know i do know this that it's always it's always touchy um and i i just uh from my point of view you know i think just a good general rule is just to kind of be um be kind you know you can still be skeptic and still be kind you know um because I think everyone gets a little bit further when we work together and want to work together as opposed to just drawing battle lines, you know. Um, it never really works out great for anybody that way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, again, that kind of brings us back to the the original point that I made before, which is like, if we can just all agree upon the definition of paranormal, just being something outside the norm with no mm -hmm. logical explanation then it gives you the ability to now from a journalistic frame, put labels on things enough to where we can start to make sense of it. And, you know, it was really, you, you completely changed. Like even it, 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 it kind of blew my mind a little bit when you regress and you're like, well, let's move backwards and take away this piece of the technology and this, and you realize that, okay, well, let's go the other way, but really fast. Eventually there will be technology that gives us the ability to fully interact with these other dimensions right um yeah. which is kind of crazy because like here's where i think it is important to be able to label something 
as as something that we can all agree upon because whether or not you want to call UFOs aliens, we all have to admit that there are unidentified objects in the sky. And if we can come from the frame of let's call that a UFO, then now we can actually begin to investigate. And until we can agree upon that, we it makes us hard to even proceed with the investigation, right? Because yeah. people are butting heads on that to begin with. Uh yeah, it's it's got this um career ending emotional baggage that comes with it, even though the term it is clearly defined as unidentified flying object. And that's so generic. But if you are like if you're an airline pilot and I mean you don't claim to see a UFO, like they they will ground you, you know. And even though it's like it's unidentified, so uh, I don't know. I there's something flying out there, and I don't know what it is. So I don't know what you're gonna call that, but that's what it is. Like you've got to tiptoe around it because people do get you know, um, I mean reputation destruction they get discredited you know it affects them professionally um and, and even just bringing these things to, to to light public not just online but throughout the course of human history you come out with a new proclamation or a discovery or something you're subject to scrutiny from people who are you know they carry this heavy conviction but they don't even know why they're against it really you know they're they're, they're kind of following this emotional uh, tether that's um, causing them to not want to face the information that you're bringing, you know. Um, and online, it's it's obviously even worse because it's not in person. You know, you can have people, you know, creating fake accounts and coming after you. And you, you know, know, ironically, you know what I think. Very ironically, I think it all traces back to religion, right? The people who I think of as probably the most skeptical people I've ever met are devout religious Christians, right? And because yeah. you have to accept that are there are inter interdimensional beings or aliens do exist, then you have to accept that what you've been born, what you've been fed into your brain every Sunday for yeah. your entire life, parts of it are not true, right? And right. most people are not willing to do that because... Again, if you don't believe that, then you will be banished. And it it keeps people in line, that that fear of the unknown. And I yeah. think that ironically, what you were saying traces back to religion, which is kind of crazy because who are the people who deny it? The government. Well, what is the biggest benefit of starting a religious group or cult? No taxes, whatever. And again, that's kind of where I, when I saw that link and I kind of when I, it was ironic because like for me. When I was a devout Christian, I'd pray every night. Um, around my mid-20s, 23, 24, I moved to Arizona. And when I moved to Arizona, I moved here for dental school. But at the time, I was like really into going out, picking up chicks. Like that was like a big hobby of mine, enough to where it became like, that's how I make money today outside of my YouTube channel. I'm, I'm, I'm a dating coach, right? And so I teach guys how to actually meet and attract girls. So I became right. that obsessed about it. And around that phase of my life, I stopped praying every night. And I started learning how to create a business and market and sell. And I learned how to persuade. And I learned a lot about what it takes to create emotion 
and get people to take certain actions. And this is the whole concept of marketing. It's like you hit them with an ad, which is a marketing message. You get them to go to your webpage and you convince them to take an action. So you give them a call to action, right? And so when I had removed myself from the frame of religion for a period of time and gone through this like growth phase, as far as learning how psychology and all that works, I went back home a couple of years ago um, to visit my mom for Christmas and she makes us go to Christmas Eve service. And at the service, my mom tells me before it starts, cause she had just moved to this new town in Kansas. And she was like, yeah, this church is pretty big. I guess they, they made $20 million last year. And my first wow. thought is that's 20 million tax free. Holy shit. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching the church service. And what is it? You're jumping up and down. It's like a Tony Robbins conference. You're singing, you're getting energized. You're in a good emotional state. Then once they got you in a peak state, they play this video and the video is of them on a mission trip in some third world country in South America. And they're building houses for these people who are in this third world country. And they say, with your donation today, and by the way, there's a lady in this country crying on video because, oh my God, I have a house now. She's crying. She's getting the people in the cr crowd crying. And then they're like, for your donation today, we can build more houses for these people. And this guy, he's such a bad salesman. He even let slip. He goes, we can build a bunch of houses for only $2,000, but you know what? As much as, as if all you people donate, we can build a bunch of houses. He literally said that. And so I'm thinking, okay, you're going to get a hell of a lot more than $2,000 from these people right now. So where's the rest yeah. of that 20 million going? You know, so that's where I really started to see through religion. And when you realize that it is tied into the people who are verbatim, the ones denying, uh, you know, UFOs, paranormal. And if you don't deny it, you are outside the religion. You are cast out man, like you really start to see where a lot of this might trace back to, you know, but I think, well, yeah, I think it's, I think it's always been really funny that, you know, of course the, the one true religion that you're exposed to is the one you grow up around and happens to be right near you. It's like, huh, how divine is that? Like, Oh, this is the church that my family goes to. Of course, this is the one true religion. That's, you know what I mean? There's, it's interesting when, when you look at it that way, but I, I also look at it that, you know, again, like just like sightings, just like anything in life, like the origins of these things have to come from somewhere. And it is entirely possible that what started out was something innately pure and true. And it was just corrupted over time to, you know, serve the greed of, of man, you know, because that's there's one thing we're good. We're finding ways of being greedy. And, it's possible that it was hijacked. I mean, you look at you know, the 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 intention and mission of, of of the devil, right, is to lead as many people away from Christianity as possible. You look at how many different religions that are on this planet right now. If I'm in a a Christian mindset, I think he's doing a pretty good job. You know, like like judging from how much divergence there is, you know, and. Also, on the flip side of that, I think if you're going to make the decision as a, as a person to serve something that you think is the creator, the all-powerful, all-knowing, you know, if you're going to make that decision, don't you think you owe it to them to do a little bit of research and digging on your own to find out the actual truth or as best as you can? Wouldn't that 
seem like an appropriate level of dedication if you're going to serve a god chances are that divinity is not going to fall in your lap based on where you grow up and what you do i mean you're, you're gonna have to dig through a lot of stuff because look what happens to people that are you know exposed and are indoctrinated into cults you know like they think that's the true religion or that's that's whatever and it's well the most mind-blowing question is what's the difference between a cult and a religion marketing branding yeah you know um i mean really that's the only the only difference um but it's like again it kind of goes i mean you can go further back into religion i mean but and you can you can postulate very interesting things based on i mean religion i mean arguably what controls the world religion and politics right i don't think anybody would disagree with that uh by the way what's taboo to talk around the dinner table religion and politics don't you think that's weird yeah you know like who came up i wonder who came up with that marketing campaign well, I think the there's a logical explanation to that for sure, which is you don't want to start fights with people because everybody's going to have a different opinion. Well, you don't want everyone to be on the same page discussing what's right and wrong. You want them to yeah. obey. You you want to, them to follow what you say is right and wrong. Yeah, it's a great you know. Point. So you know, I think I think those those lines are very interesting. You know. Um, Those things rule the world. Don't you think you should talk about them? Yeah. But I think here's what blows my mind is like there are certain phenomenon that if you can step outside the box, that is the religious mindset, and you can kind of look at it objectively. Okay, here's what happened. Here's why it's outside the norm. Now let's try to actually find an explanation. It doesn't matter whether you like the explanation or not, but if everybody's getting the same conclusion, then there's something to be said about it. Right. And so, yeah. And it's, it's very important to make that distinction if they're making the same conclusion willingly, or if they're making the same conclusion under duress, if you have a different opinion, are you prosecuted for it? Are you persecuted for it? You know, is there a negative hiccup that you're going to hit? Is your business going to suffer? Is your personal health and well-being? Is your family going to suffer if you dissent? Right. Um, And that's a big one. And I think people don't necessarily, they're not necessarily mindful of that trap because, you know, you're looking at psychological operations. You're like a psyop program. It's not, it's not a government conspiracy. It's not mysticism. If you bombard somebody with the same message day in and day out, 30 to 60 days, their opinion will change regardless of their opinion when they start it. That's just how we work. That's how our subconscious mind works. Our conscious mind makes those decisions based on new information. Subconscious mind is literally that system that was formed between the ages of zero and seven to keep us alive. You know, you turn on the oven, the gas doesn't catch right away. It it has a fireball. You make that jerk reaction back. You think you consciously made that decision to jerk back? No, that, that reaction came as quick as your body and mind could do it. And that's because it was the subconscious programs trying to preserve you. As soon as something gets into the subconscious mind, that's a program that's just going to run. 
and it's going to run and it's going to dictate your conscious behavior. Except we, we don't really know. We're not aware of it. You know, how often do you have uh, family members or people that you know are friends that they're you know constantly screwing up and somebody's definition of, of their behavior is always, well, you know how they are or that's just how they are. It's like, that's a bullshit answer. Because yeah. that's where the problem is, you know. As soon as something enters the subconscious program of your mind, that's when things start to get dangerous. Because now we're we're at its uh, we're at its mercy, you know. So you put those thoughts into somebody's head subconsciously. You run the same message over and over and over. For instance, like a twenty-four hour news cycle, and if they start repeating the same catchphrases, if they start repeating the same thing eventually you're going to start recognizing that and you're, you're going to start adjusting to be more accepting of, of whatever message it is that's just how we work as people you know well have you ever heard about that experiment they did with like spraying the monkeys with the hose when they went for the bananas you ever heard yeah. about the experiment? yeah i guess for this i mean it's the same concept for the people who are listening i'll give a quick rundown but basically there was an experiment where they put five monkeys in a cage and they just left them there and then they pinned like a bunch of bananas at the top of the cage and then as soon as one of the monkeys started to go for the bananas they sprayed the banana the monkey with cold water like a fucking fire hose of water and it like hurt the monkey but it also kind of shamed him in front of the other monkeys and um what what was interesting is what happened next is another monkey eventually would go for the bananas but instead, after instead of spraying the the monkey with the hose, before they could even do that, all the other monkeys pulled that second monkey down and started beating the fuck out of them. Yeah. And what happened was they actually kept this going for a little bit to where now it's like understood. If you go for the bananas, we're going to beat the fuck out of you. And they started replacing these monkeys one by one. And pretty soon they had generations of new monkeys in there. None of them had been sprayed with a water hose, but all of them knew one thing. If you go for the fucking bananas, you're going to get your ass beat. And so um, that was very interesting because that's exactly what you're saying, which is like some people don't even realize that they're caught in this fucking essentially a matrix you're caught in the matrix but you don't realize it because you're just you were born into it it's all you have ever known um and you can even get into the genetic memory argument which i think is really interesting they classify genesis classify most dna as junk dna but you know the amount of storage capacity that they have is insane and it's like, do we remember things that are passed down from our ancestors? Do we have a way of accessing it? Well, I mean, it's it's not that unbelievable of a thing. You know, they had animals that were raised completely indoors in captivity. And when they were rescued, they went outside and they didn't know, they didn't experience grass or the sun. And uh, I remember one instance, I think it was, I want to say it was foxes. There's a bunch of foxes that got let out for the first time because they were raised completely in captivity from breeders and uh, a hawk flew overhead and they heard the hawk screech and they instantly identified it as a predator and they instantly sought shelter, you know, and it's like, that's a very specific reaction for something. I don't know what it is, you know, and so that that came from somewhere, you know, is that a genetic memory passed down because they have found. You know, the, the the experiment they did with fleas, right? They put the lid on the jar with the fleas. Right. All the fleas would jump, but they would slam into the jar lid. And then the next generation of fleas, when they would jump, they would jump just underneath the jar lid, even though they 
had an experience slamming into it. So, I don't know, program belief and its impact and how it's passed down, there's something definitely left to be explored there. And I, I, I don't think we're any different, uh, to be honest. You know, um, I think we have these beliefs that are imparted on us, you know, um, that we carry with us and biases take over and we're influenced and it's very hard to to kind of find common ground and a solid foundation when you're looking into the realm of things that are essentially unknown or undefined. And really the only thing you can do is build a solid base to try to come to the best conclusions that you can come to. And uh, like I said, I think it's intertwined with technology, but it's, uh, it's really interesting. It's really interesting stuff. Yeah. I'd be remiss about if I didn't bring this up before we kind of get remiss remiss. Um, I had an experience with a shadow figure that is, I guess, formally known on the internet as the hat man. I guess what was interesting to me, um, and for anybody listening to this, you know, I have a video about my experience where I show like actual pictures of the room and the house and whatnot, but, um, and that's on my YouTube channel if you want to check that out. But, uh, my experience with the hat man, I guess what I had, my experience with it was I had seen it every night that I spent the night in that one room pretty much all throughout high school. So for like, for me, it was like my sophomore year through my senior year after we moved into that house. Right. And it was my dad's house. They were divorced. So I was only there part-time anyways. Um, and so the, I stopped seeing it when, um, I always got the vibe that if I had told anybody that I was seeing this, that it wouldn't show itself. And that's kind of comes down to like, kind of similar to your experience to where, as soon as you stood your ground to it, it scurried off. And so mm-hmm. in some way there is interaction between the thoughts and the intentions of the two beings involved in the interaction. Right. And so yeah. for me, what happened was because I'd always gotten that vibe, I concluded that before I tell anybody, I should do as much research on it as I possibly can. And for me, you know, it wasn't necessarily about Googling, but it was more about let me go out and study the trees. Does it make a shadow that looks like that? Could a shadow be stagnant and have that hard outline, even though the tree yes. branches behind it are waving behind it, right? Why do I only see it at these certain points in time versus other points in time? And so I actually made note of a lot of these things mentally every time I'd see it for the course of several years. Um, and then finally, my senior year, I decided, all right, I've seen enough. I've concluded there is no explanation that I can come up with for it. So let me try to tell my friend and my friend, if I told, um, he basically, he, he knew I didn't like sleeping in that bedroom, but I never told him why. Right. And I'd gotten to the point where I could see this thing essentially on command. Right. I learned that it was only in that room when all the lights were down, there was no lights on. It was even more visible at night when, you know, there was no light outside, but the trees outside covered the room enough uh, to where even during the day, if all the lights were off, you could still see it in the windowsill. Right. And um, so anyways, I verified that I could see it one last time before I went and told my friend who was, you know, out on our dock that is at the Lake of the Ozarks. And he, I basically saw it and I sent it this thought like, Today's the day I'm going to tell someone, let's see if I'm right. And if you're going to show yourself or not. And so this is right when I verified it, 
I went down, I told my friend about my experience and what it looked like. And the first time I saw and how everything and basically all the details. Right. And he said, okay, well, let's go up and see if it's there. And, and I even told him, I, I have a feeling it's not even going to show itself to you because I always had that vibe, which is why it took me so long to tell you. And long story short, we go up and turn off the lights and it's not there. And I haven't seen this thing since, but what blew my mind was this was just a random experience that I had in high school. Never really talked about it. Never even thought about it a whole lot other than telling a few friends over a few drinks or something. Right. And then I see this documentary on Amazon prime called the hat man. And it catches my eye because you know, you're scrolling thumbnails and you go, what could that possibly be about? Have I ever seen something that has a hat and might be considered a hat man and looks like a shadow, like on this fucking thumbnail. And I realized it wasn't a fictional movie. It was a documentary of a lot of people experiencing the exact same shadow. But here's what blew my mind the most is that in the documentary, they show many illustrations and depictions of this thing. And one of the ones that they kept recurringly showing was the exact shadow I saw verbatim. It looks exactly the same. So that tells me this is a legitimate phenomenon, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a legitimate experience. Um, and, and there's, there's little, little seeds of correlation you can find, not just in, in the experience of everybody, but even scattered throughout, you know, written, written history, uh, written religious text, which is, you know, like, why doesn't it show itself when you point it out to people, you know? Well, I mean, that actually, you know, corresponds to one of the uh, conditions for demonic possession which is in order for the demon to take possession um it has to isolate you you know it makes you isolated because it makes it easier to uh, impose its will to uh, wear you down you know that's one of the tenets that's necessary for for possession and this isn't just uh, in in catholicism or christianity this is kind of like a it's a, it's a guidebook for uh, all religions, they have a way of isolating you. So when you get more people privy to it, which is also one of my, it's one of the things that I think about the reason why a lot of paranormal investiga investigations might not necessarily yield uh, a lot of results. Because if you think about it, these investigations, you got a camera crew, you got behind the scenes, you know, you got PAs, you got craft service, you got producers, you got directors, you got, you know, you know, transport drivers, you have assistants, you have everybody there. It's a lot of people to bring to an isolated area. It doesn't necessarily correlate to the rules that seem to be established for these things to show themselves and appear. I think you'd be better off if you just got one or two people and you guys do your thing. I think you'd be able to find more evidence that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it's it's really interesting and unique. And, and one of the things that stands out about this is the hat. You know, like, what the fuck is that? Hat and trench coat. Yeah, like, what is is this? Is this, you know, like that raises so many questions for me. Like, where is this thing from? Is it from a place that they have hat and trench coats? Or is is this? I mean, because that hat and trench coat combo. I mean, as far as like stylization in 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 our world, I mean, it's not that old. That came up when forties, thirties, yeah, twenties, thirty. I mean, like when did that become mainstream? So was this something that dictated its look based on experiences then, and just never updated? Is you know what I mean? Like, 
it brings up a lot of interesting questions, but I think in asking those open-minded questions, you can find, you know, things that would narrow your, your, your field of search in order to find these answers. You know, you ever seen, um, you ever seen those videos of like people put like the beads on like this subwoofer and if they vibrate at a frequency, it'll form this crazy geometric shape. Yes. You ever seen those? So as you're describing that, I think I wondered what if, cause I've always wondered, even before I saw the Hatman documentary, is this, is this one of those things that's just so outside my realm of reality that my mind is giving it form based off of something I can conceptualize? Okay. Right? So possible. But the thing is, is like, uh, other people, multiple people are experiencing the same form. So I don't think it's something that's originating from the individual experiencing the event. I think it's something that's being projected from the individual that's perpetrating the event. Right. You know, that, that's what logic would tell me that it's a choice that was made on that end. What if just like the beads on the speaker form into a crazy shape when a certain frequency is vibrated? What if people our brains interpret a certain frequency in that shape. And so maybe a certain phenomenon involving frequency was happening in that point in space to where any observers, human observers, their brain interprets that frequency as that shape that our brains conceptualize. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that it's possible. I mean, it kind of is, uh, you know, I'm familiar with Tesla and he's got a, you know, one of his expressions that stands out in my head or one of his uh, findings or uh, quotes that stands out in my head is if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And, you know, vibration and frequency, it's kind of proven that those have ways of messing us up, you know, um, taking us outside of what we control and, and implementing things that, you know, even frequencies just underneath the sound decibel that we can normally hear affect us or things that are over it normally affect us. You know, there are different tones that can affect our behavior and perception, you know. Um, I think it's possible, but I mean, then that would mean that whatever is doing it has the frequency or vibration to put out for its perception to be viewed as something that's wearing a trench coat and a hat. And I don't think that's just an accidental interpretation because you have to look at intelligent design. I don't think that's an accidental interpretation that is put out there for us to discover. I think that's a projection that was consciously made by whatever the entity is. You know what I mean? And I think it's done. I think it's that on purpose because it's, it's too frequent to be an accident, right? The number of accounts. It's too frequent to just be a random occurrence. You know, I've never heard someone say, it's like, oh, it's a shadow person. But instead, uh, they didn't have like a top hat or, or like a fedora. Well, what kind of hat they had? Oh, they had like a giraffe balloon animal hat. You know, I thought that was kind of weird. It's like, you never hear that. It's always a very distinct brim. It's always, you know, it, it's a specific kind of hat. It varies a little bit, but the design doesn't really change that much. And, you have to think that that's done on purpose, you know, because yeah. you, you got to keep in mind, you're also, you're not just crossing, you know, interpretation boundaries and lines, you're, you're crossing cultural boundaries and lines where this type of garment, that type of hat and that type of coat never existed, was never prevalent in those societies. Right. You know, you don't see top hats in the Middle East. You know, you don't see uh, trench coats, you know, um, like, uh, 
you know, overseas in, uh, um, you know, tropical climates. It's just not something that's, that's a normal item to wear in those areas, but you, you get the same reports, you know? So it's it's just kind of interesting, like when you look at those different things and, and exploring them. The only thing I can know is that what I experience and from what other people that, that I know have experienced, it's something and it's definitely supernatural. It's definitely paranormal. And I think that, you know, it's tangible to the point where it should be investigated. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is, um, speaking of like seeing it across the world, right. You and I were talking on the phone the other night, we were talking about this thing called the catacombs, which is like this underground graveyard slash maze under, is it London or one of those cities in the UK? I think it's in Paris. I think it's in France. Yeah. Okay. France. Um, I saw a video of these, these paranormal investigators, Sam and Colby, uh, they Uh, actually gone down there and, in one of the rooms that they had filmed in their video was a picture of the hat man, right? Wearing the wide brimmed hat. And the story behind that picture that was some guy had gotten lost down there and spent like weeks in that dark room. And he kept seeing that figure. So he drew it on the wall. So that was crazy to me. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, like, it's just, it's just hard to figure out what it is. You know what I mean? Like where its origin is, you know, it would be, it's just difficult. You know, you're in that moment. You're not, you I mean, you're not thinking about communicating. You're like, Oh great. It's the hat man. Hey man, where are you from? You know, like this isn't, these are, these are the knee jerk reactions right. that you get, you know, but more importantly, it's like, why is, why is this thing appearing to people? So yeah, what, what is, scientific argument for that could be exactly what you said, which is that genetic memory. And there is a, a flaw in that because like, let's say, let's say a part of your genetic code when having a deep sense of fear, fear for your life and spiritual well-being, mm-hmm. it maybe that triggers a part of your DNA that manifests these visions of the hat man. But the argument against that could be, well, if it it couldn't be genetic memory if it's a distinct figure that's only been around for less than a hundred years, you know. It's true. It's true. Um, it could. Uh, I don't know, man. Maybe it's like armor. Maybe it's just like camouflage. Maybe it evolves. Maybe it's intelligent. I mean, if it's intelligent, that's what it would do. It would evolve with, you know, what's going on. Maybe it just doesn't see a, a reason to change its appearance. You know, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to figure it out. Have you ever done any research into like what do other dimensions look like or things like that? It's all speculation. Nobody knows. Well, I saw a very interesting video that was not like a conspiracy related video. It was just a scientific video, right? It was on YouTube, but it, it blew my mind because it actually helped me understand what dimensions are like, and it's basic geometry, like two dimensions is like, height or length and width, right? At a third dimension, that's depth, right? So we live in three dimensions, but all you would really have to do is add a new direction to visualize what the fourth dimension or the fifth dimension would look like. And they actually showed that um, the fourth dimension actually looks like a tesseract. So if you remember the little square from the Avengers 
right? Mm -hmm. A tesseract, the shape of a tesseract is actually a cube that's within a cube. And so using that same logic, that's how they were able to discover the other, other dimensions and why there could be more because like the geometry gets pretty darn complex when you get to 10 and 12 dimensions, right? Yeah. But the interesting takeaway I got from that video was that if you took a three-dimensional being and tried to show what a three-dimensional being looks like to a little uh, worm that you drew on a piece of paper, if that worm had consciousness and was trying to think, here's a three-dimensional being, and you put a picture of like a house on that piece of paper, right? What it would see is actually a two-dimensional reflection of a three-dimensional being. And so uh. to that, it would actually look kind of like a shadow. And so that's where okay. I think, okay, maybe the fourth dimension is actually pretty conceptual. Like you could probably conceptualize it if you were somehow beamed to that dimension. But the only way we can even see into that is it actually looks to us like a three-dimensional reflection of it, which might look like a shadow of that, you know? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's very possible. Um, the fact that they exist and we don't know what's in them and how they represent to us. You know, it could very well be. I mean, we have an allegory for that. It's the exact allegory. It's the allegory of the cave. You know, um, it was the shadow figures on a wall and then the prisoner uh, in, a wall in a cave. And then the prisoner escapes and sees what's actually causing the shadows and then sees the real objects, tries to come back and tell the other prisoners, hey, the shadow of a tree that you're looking at, that's not actually a tree. A real tree is out there and it's green and it's brown and it's, you know, and they didn't believe him, you know. Um, so it's it's the perception, you know, uh, that's pretty interesting, but um, it, it it still correlates. You know, it's all it's all it's all pushing towards the same, I guess, line of uh, questioning. You know, the same line of possibilities. Um, it's 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 really fascinating stuff to me. You know, just when you start to get in there and you start to look at these things, and you know, you always got to be. You have to be mindful of, um, you know, Pandora's box. You know, it's kind of like, do you really want to, do you really want to go down this road? You know, and I'm willing to, to a point, you know, because um, I'm not trying to, you know, get suicided or anything like that. But yeah, it, it's, I think there's a lot of information out there that we can define better with what we already know, as opposed to like pulling back the curtain and revealing, you know, revealing certain things. So I think that that's um, an important distinction to make. So, I don't know, but that's kind of what I want to do. I want to start, uh, I want to start going out there. Um, I want to start, um, in, I mean, boots on the ground investigation, trying to use the best technology that we have and, you know, I've, I've, I've got interesting resources and, um, you know, uh, not just in the paranormal world, but just in, in uh, you know, contractor world and the security sector world uh, and also, you know, the film and entertainment world and kind of see if we can shed some new light on stuff that maybe, you know, has kind of been a little bit uh, obfuscated from dissection, you know. See if we can find some some definitions of things, and you know, and it's not just limited to shadow people. I mean, you know, there's plenty of um, 
stories of cryptids out there that that could be explored. There's you know, you have, there's a lot of mysteries. You know, a lot of mysteries in this world, and I think the uh, um, I think we're in a good place in human history and uh, technology in order to get some more answers. You know, yeah. So, but it's um, it's gonna be fun. I think it's gonna be fun. Like next time you're in LA. Um, you know, I'll take you to a couple of sites that we can go uh, uh, look at and poke around and, you know, see if anything bumps back, you know. Huh. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, if people want to go check you out, uh, I guess at this point, I'll just direct you to Proof, the show on Amazon, uh, the episode yeah. about shadow people. Obviously, you're involved with that episode. Um, do you have any, like, social media you want to shout out real quick? Well, I just, I started, um, I started a channel um, that's going to kind of explore a lot of this stuff. Uh, it's just called the Spectre Chronicles. Um, and, uh, you know, nothing's up on it yet, uh, but it's, that's going to be the the hub where I'm going to start, you know, posting content and material and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, we'll see how it pans out. It's, I mean, you know, making the channels, not, not necessarily my, my primary focus, but, um, I, I think it's important to keep like a, a log almost of, of all the adventures and all the things that we come across. So uh, that was primarily the reason that I, I, uh, I created it. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I think that I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think we're going to have some interesting adventures. Like I said, like some of the things that I want to do, you know, um, explore some of these theories that are a little bit you know, out there and kind of see what happens, you know, whether it's paranormal or not. And, you know, I, I mentioned to you about Mount Shasta and kind of like a lot of the irregularities that are there. Um, you know, there's just things that I want to go, you know, take a closer look at and, and see what we see. And I think that, um, I think, uh, there's a lot of room for adventure, you know, uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to this, this world. So, I think I, I think we'll have fun. Yeah, and I think just in case people didn't fully comprehend that, basically what you're alluding to is future adventures where we're actually going out and exploring some pretty crazy locations. And I think that's a perfect cliffhanger to leave a lot of people on here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think how I'm going to do things uh, on my end, and I think what you can you know bring with uh, with your your point of view and your your abilities, I, I think we're going to be able to offer a new take and kind of a fresh look on a lot of things that, you know, might get some people asking some different questions when it comes to these unexplained phenomenon. So, um, but yeah, there's just, there's so, just in the U S there's so many places, you know, so many places, you know, I've heard rumors of a, I mean, just to give an example, I've heard rumors of a living vampire in Louisiana, you know, I've heard rumors of entrance to the uh, hollow earth in the Grand Canyon. You know, I've heard rumors of uh, UFO phenomenon uh, at Mount Shasta. You know, I've heard, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually, things. I'm probably going to bleep out half of what you said because I've had a few people known to, I, I know that copying content is a real thing. So I want to save those ideas. So we're the first ones to announce it on our channel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel free to you know edit and cut and shoot. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't bother me. But, um, but I think uh, I don't know, man. We, we start working together and we start kind of 
throwing this stuff out. And I've got some interesting people that, that want to tag along in certain, at, at certain legs of this journey. I think they would add some really interesting insight from their point of view, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's gonna be really unique. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on and we'll definitely have to go for round two, maybe, maybe for a Patreon only thing or something we'll get deeper into some of the stuff that maybe we couldn't talk about on YouTube. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as the, the YouTube space and kind of this, this space, you know more about it than I do, you know, obviously. So, um, you know, I'll be more than happy to you know, kind of follow your lead on that type of those types of endeavors. But I know um, there's certain topics that I would never touch on YouTube. Uh, yeah. but I think in a more private platform, obviously, I think you can definitely get into some deeper stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, even just, man, even just the occult stuff. Uh, um, I, I know a lot of people that have had experiences with that out here at levels that, you know, it's kind of hard, hard to understand, you know, but it's, uh, you know, it's interesting talking about like private platform or like ability to post whatever you want. I got an email from uh, this website called rumble the other day. Uh, okay. I would need, like, it'd be great for me to be on their platform. And uh, I don't know, I'm not quite sold on Rumble or the potential benefit that could, it could have other than me just kind of shouting in this sea of uncensored stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll Rumble. It might take a little bit more con convincing for me to start posting over on Rumble. But we'll uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it treat it like a mirror to YouTube. Um, you don't have to do anything special, but um, you're, you're going to find a lot of benefit there as well. Well, let's just say um, if the price is right, might consider it. So, yeah, they have they have the uh, profit sharing. Uh, that's pretty good. I know I know some creators that jumped um, and jumped over there and they, they, they found a pretty good, pretty good audience. Yeah, there's people that I know that they're all they're doing is just downloading YouTube videos, transferring them to Rebel, and they're actually getting paid off of that just for revenue sake. Which is, you know, um, you know, they do them. You know, I'm not going to dictate them, but um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a platform that's paying. You know, I know that. So, yeah, um, and I know they paid. Uh, what Steve will do it? I'm pretty sure he got a pretty fat deal just to just to go over to Rumble, even though he got banned on YouTube. But I'm pretty sure, like, he got paid. Uh, check to also just start posting on rumble too you know so yeah. if we're talking about money like i said if the price is right if it makes money it makes sense as they say in the yeah. boxing world <laughs> yeah um yeah it's, it's it's something i'm definitely gonna do as soon as i get a little bit more i would say not even established as, soon as i get some some varying content out um i'm probably gonna try my hand over there and just kind of see what it is so um but yeah, man. Well, uh, when do you think you're going to be out this way? Do you have any plans at all? No plans. My entire plans at this moment are like 100% revolved around just my YouTube channel. So posting more on Patreon, posting more on YouTube, getting my content out more consistently. And so like, I guess it's actually cool that I'm talking about it here, but like, you know, part of what's grown my channel to this point is like the highly edited videos and I love doing those. So I'm never going to stop doing them. But I guess the downside is, is like, 
I guess the general sense I get is that you don't have to post every week on YouTube, but if you can and you can post quality every week, then the algorithm tends to really blow you up. And I've seen it with a lot of people, right? And I think the biggest challenge for me, the only bottleneck I have is just, I need to post more. And so that becomes a little bit hard and I'm figuring it out, but hard to do if I'm doing highly produced videos, like well-written, well-researched, highly yeah. edited, right? And so um, what I'm thinking is a happy medium to keep the people engaged and continue to offer new content is doing more free form conversations like this. Because, uh, you know, even, even the clips of this feed the, the edited stuff really well as well. You know, if I wanted sure. to make yeah. a video. Um, so... Yeah, man. So I think that's like 100% of my goals. And I guess the only reason I say that is because I'm so intensely focused on just dialing that process in to where like I have no travel plans. Like my the biggest plans I have is I'm going to watch the Super Bowl this Sunday because the Chiefs are in and I Kansas City born and raised. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I could even, yeah, I could try to do... Um you know, some, some, uh, content shoot and send them over to you. That way you can have, you know, kind of your pick of what you want to post. Um, like even just there's bridges over here, like, um, like suicide bridge in Pasadena, you know what I mean? Um, where countless people have committed suicide by jumping off the bridge. Well, they just built a housing project underneath there. It's been there for a couple of years. You know, at the bottom. Would be if something like that came out to be like, Oh wait! All these people didn't commit suicide. They just slipped. Like, look at look at how unsafe and unsturdy this ledge is. <laughs> you know how yeah. fun would it be if that's like the real explanation? That'd be that'd be horrible. You know, um, but again, I, it's kind of like um, it's it's like that mythos, man. It's like we discussed earlier. Like one person jumped, and now everyone in that town knows that oh someone committed suicide out there and it's like oh yeah someone's thinking similar thoughts and yeah that might be a good place to do it and they just keep doing it and that thought just permeates and next thing you know it's got a legend look at uh japanese forests you know um there's one place i will never go the movie was really good the fictional one it was fascinating i saw a video that went viral a few years ago ironically i think it was tfil's video with sam and colby um where they went before like the suicide forest was a thing and their video was freaking nuts exploring that. Um, but then I, Logan Paul's experience there really convinced me uh, that is that place you never want to go. I feel like the only thing that could have brought down Logan Paul's career at that point was an act of God. And he tempted the one place on earth that's probably arguably the most haunted place on earth. And it got, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, look, I've got close friends in Japan. So if you ever want to make that trip, Oh God. You well, now I mean? that I'm posting this video, people are going to be begging us for it. And like I said, if it makes sense, it makes sense. Um, from a logistical standpoint, like budgeting, the timing. Yeah. You know, so we'll have to see. Yeah. I just think there's, there's just a lot of possibilities, you know, a lot of possibilities. Um, and ultimately that's what it comes down to is like, if I can get my process down, to where I'm posting content a lot more consistently while still staying true to the content that grew the channel to this point in the first place, then it will only grow faster, which will only give me more resources to be able to make better videos. And at the end of the day, I think I told you this, like 
My goal is not to go and do some shit that's going to get me suicided. My goal is to make ama amazing content on YouTube.